welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, which is part two of a special series on careers in L&D, I'm speaking with Jack Lockhart, Learning Experience and Performance Manager at Perfect Home, about what it means to make the step up to L&D Manager. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Jack, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, David. Uh, now, Jack, you've recently progressed uh, to L&D Manager. It'd be remiss of me not to ask, how's it going? Uh, it's a learning curve. It's a learning curve. It's a learning curve on a number uh, of different reasons. So it's... um. It's a smaller business than I've worked in previously. So uh, I've come from a, a, a big telecoms company into a smaller financial services company, a regulated industry, but yeah, also first L&D manager role. So some people just take on one new thing. I've managed to to pick up a few in there in one go. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so um, uh, could you just describe your your role um, for us? Just, uh, you know, perhaps some high level, um, what, what it's kind of made up of and, uh, and who you report into, uh, so say yeah. the level and, uh, and, and some of the things that you're, uh, that you're immediately accountable for. Yeah, of course. So, so we uh, learn and experience and performance team. So we, we change that from a, a trainer and L&D team. We report directly into the people and engagement team uh, across the business. So yeah, that, they, they were two um, departmental teams that we've turned into a centralized team to sort of support some of the, the strategy that we've got going on um, across the business. So what sits within my remit? So one is around how we support new starters coming into mm-hmm. the business, how we support um, our customer facing uh, teams is a really important part. And, and one of the other parts of, of the, the role, which is a really interesting part is actually the apprenticeship levy mm-hmm. that sits with us and how we can begin to use some of that to look at, yeah, what does two, three years look down the line for, uh, for perfect home and how do we, deliver those skills in time so yeah it's, it's broadly those those key areas at the moment yeah and uh, you know and common to uh, to many people listening it's uh, you know you have a you have a broad remit uh, a lot of that is uh, is critically important a lot of it is urgent and so there's a bit of prioritizing because you can't do everything uh, um uh, overnight um but but yeah broadly speaking it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be common to uh, to to the listener and um, and getting back to uh, to your own journey, what have you found are the biggest differences between what you were doing before and you know, uh, if I understand correctly, you were an L and D consultant before, um, mm-hmm. and now being a manager. Uh, so I think the the biggest change is where I spend my time. So you you dive back into that that consultant role, and that was a lot of around the country, around the UK working directly with teams or, or delivering workshops. Now, my role has completely changed to step back from that. So, you know, step back from doing the do almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I spend my time or a good 20% of my time in the week is just working with my team, mm-hmm. just supporting them and uh, and helping them. And it's um, it's one of those where you could see that as, oh, God, that's squeezing out. That's squeezing out all the other bits that I need mm-hmm. to do. But actually... That that twenty percent of the time, and what we get back from that working with the team is uh, is brilliant. So I, I've got a, a fantastic team, David. A, a team of people that have come through the business, mm. different experiences. They've been customer facing before, and they've got that real, wow, yeah, you know, uh, this is something I want to do. 
how do we match them up with the L&D skills as well? So a, a big part of what I'm doing at the moment is around how do we develop that team as well to be operational experts mm. and L&D professionals? So that's where I'm spending a lot of my time at the, at the moment. And you said there about twenty percent of the time. What I what I've what I found, and of course, you know, before before we go into L and D manager roles or into management, a lot of the time we we work with managers, so we kind of understand some of the uh, the challenges that they face. You say yeah. you spend about twenty percent of your time with the team, and uh, and uh, and a common mistake that uh, that people recently promoted make are that they try to hang on and do as much. And you know, to, to give people a lot of credit there, um, it's because um, before they got promoted to a manager, a lot of the time they were excellent core contributors. So, so not only were they used to delivering um, and exceeding expectations, they got they attach some identity to being good at that as well as some self-esteem. So, so you want to hold on to that because it's, it 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 works for you. It delivers for you, but the it will actually work against you as you make that step into management because the expectations and the role are different. That if you lean too heavily on what gave you satisfaction and you know, contributed to your identity before, it's actually going to hold you back and uh, and and dent you down the line. Have you found that? And so, so the way I found out that that's a great investment in time is because probably in the first few months I was trying to do 120% of things. I was trying to do the hundred percent of contribution yeah. and spending 20% of the time with, with, with the team. So, so yeah, that, that was one of those sort of big transitions to go, no, it's okay. Look, you are expected to step back and, and do things a little bit different. And, and that felt really uncomfortable because mm. you, you talked about being a core contributor there. You know, my time was valued previously on how much we were delivering or consulting or designing or developing. And that's not what it is. That's not what it is now. You know, we're looking strategically at what what do we want the business to look like in three years, and how does team member development form a core part of that? So yeah, it, it, mm. the first few months were a little bit. Oh, hold on, am I not measuring my time? Am I not delivering? Should yeah. I be delivering? Um, but feeling more comfortable to go. No, no, I'm doing the right thing by doing by doing these things as opposed to the things I did before. And it's not just intrinsic that uh, where that where that comes from. You know, it's not just you coming to a realization. What I found the hard way was that you know you're doing all of this stuff, and of course, there's no point in doing stuff unless you're seeking to get the credit for it as well. But I think you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, managing your profile in any organization is absolutely critical um, to, to to gaining influence. But whether you're going to a manager and saying, "Hey, look what I've done," and it's got your fingerprints all over it, or whether it's saying to your team, "Oh no, no, I'll do that," you've got people from above and below you looking and thinking, what are you doing? Like, and then you've got your managers asked, asking, are you equipped for this? Or are you ready for this? And your team thinking, well, what do I do then? I mean, there, I mean, some of that is a mind read, but I, you know, there, there, there is some kind of projection within there of those two different levels questioning, perhaps not not so explicitly your value if you're holding on to stuff and it's and so so it isn't just that as i said it's not the intrinsic i know i should be doing something different but there is the expectation coming elsewhere i don't know if you experienced that or or, or perhaps what what some of the um the the factors were in in you developing yourself more into the management area it was definitely intrinsic yeah nobody was tapping me on the shoulder saying should you be doing this or should you be doing that it it, it was me questioning myself uh, around it and you know what, what one one of the big investments i've made personally is i, I work with a coach outside of uh, of work and those first few 
months and that transition coming into the role, we spent about what are those first few months going to look sound and, uh, and feel like how you're going to work with, with that group. So I think that transition piece was a, a, an important piece to just sort of frame me right. So, you know, walking in, knowing that you're not here to do it all. Though that, that said, Dave, one of the things we have to remember is, you know, there are L&D managers out there who are the person yeah. in the business. Um, so, so, yeah, so sometimes you will be taking on that balance of both. But yeah, it is about striking that balance. What is the doing the do? And actually, what is the where am I right to take a step back here and just think think and question and be curious about how it all joins up so yeah striking that balance is something i'm still getting right at times not getting right at times the team will probably say i can i can do that just hand that over and (laughs) we had those conversations so yeah that 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 continues to be a learning curve and it will it will continue to be it will it will um now it's been said by uh, by by uh, many people and i've read it uh, quite a lot over the years that uh, progressing to a manager is a career change you know we just described before you would you would do it you're a co contributor you're getting a lot right and you've been recognized that you could possibly make that that step up but of course when you are doing that work you have you have fundamentally changed jobs and it requires a different way of thinking about the work and of course another way of doing it and i wonder what previous experiences um, that that you've had have prepared you for the role of, uh, of of L&D manager and in what ways would you say you were not yet prepared? So where do I think I, I was prepared for this? So I, I've got maybe a different route into learning. So a lot of people fall into this role. We know, you know, we know that a lot of people fall into L&D. So yeah. mine was a conscious choice um, to, to do it, but it started working vendor side. So I mm-hmm. sold skills development into learning and development teams. So for five years, I developed a, a knowledge of what do immature and mature learning teams look like in businesses, which are the ones that are really joined up to what the organization is trying to do, which are the ones that are out there on the side and, mm-hmm. and, and not really making an impact. So I, I developed a, a really strong understanding of, sort of maturity models, how to support learning development teams through their own development more than mm-hmm. anything. Um, and so we had some great transformations of working with teams when, when I did that. So I think working vendor side from a, you know, from a commercial perspective, from a being able to look at a lot of different organizations, sectors, setups, mm. um, I think that was really uh, that was really important. Then when you flip that to my last role as a learning consultant, that that sharpened my skills around performance consulting and having conversations that start at performance and not learn. I know that's that's something that you really really push, and it's a, a real constant theme through mm. uh, through through these podcasts. So. Those were the two bits that really did prepare me for coming into to here and the exposure came to. Where was I where was I not yet prepared? So I I so my last three roles went from a 28 person company to a 14,000 person company mm-hmm. to around a 200 person company. So I think what what I had not prepared myself for were the, the differences in context and and how those businesses feel and how those businesses feel so the thing that i was not necessarily prepared for was um previous role you have your role and it's pretty well defined you do that one thing or one or two things and when you come to a a smaller maybe more agile more flexible business actually you, you're wearing multiple hats mm. or you know people doing four or five things so i think that that's what i was maybe not as prepared for. i come from a very corporate organization into one that is a developing and diverse organization and that took a bit of getting used to getting the context and the flow and the you know the the, the respect of the business and where it's come from, where it is now, and and what's that uh, what's that sort of culture that runs through the middle of it. Mm. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. When I look back to uh, to mine, I think it was a slightly different time. We're we're more accepting of people bringing the whole self to work. But so I, I mine um, uh, my promotion was in banking. So uh, of course I, I found that uh, that within banking there was a lot more of a mask. You know, people people had a very professional mm. mask, um, and uh, the. I remember delivering some uh, uh, some performance management uh, training for uh, for managers back then, and you say, you know, as you're taking people to the performance review, have a chat with them to put them at ease. Ask them questions like, right? So you so you're literally, and you're in this room, and the people went, oh yeah, that's a good idea, you know. So so writing this down, and it was being a human being, right? Who mm-hmm. cares? And so so some of the lesson was um, uh, that don't just be a robot who looks like they they care yeah yeah actually care and i think that that was a was a, was a massive thing that that you then go from somebody who is just going through some techniques to somebody mm-hmm. who other people can really relate to and i think that that sometimes as a young manager you need you need tips and this is what we do all the time you know to say to people you know ask these questions to build rapport and get to know your team but it's another one to take that technique and just be really interested it's it's mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's always like counterintuitive when you think about all the leaders that we uh, that we encounter when we're when we're younger our role models are um uh, our family and teachers but of course you can't treat people like that (laughs) you know and and then of course like in the workplace there are so many more bad managers than there are good managers you want you wonder what the hell to uh, to pick up and what not to yeah and that that interest piece is it is an interesting piece to dive into so one of the things i'm so curious about is how businesses work how they operate how all the pieces join together so Mm. i've had a a number of conversations over the last nine months where you know even recently with one of our marketing managers going Talk me through this funnel and conversion. How does this work, and how does this drive? How does this drive what happens over here? And they go, why are you asking me these questions? Why are you asking me these questions, Jack? Like, aren't you in the learning team over over here? Go, yeah, but when that happens, how does that impact what happens with our people who support our customers? So it's, it's beginning to it's beginning to join the dots and that curiosity. So again, you know, we as a business, we've just launched an app for our customers to allow them to sell. So, so how will that change? the mix of calls and, and things coming into our our centers how does that then change how our people will have to deal with our our customers and and so on it's that curiosity joining parts up that is yeah it is great for me it's same with um, we get commercial I, I look at the commercial performance every week and share that with team and again i've been back to one of our finance managers to go how does this all work and i go why are you asking me this how does it all <laughs> join up so I, I think that that interest is a really um it is a point that I think we could always do more of it. We can always see more about how the bits join up and then how that has knock-ons to, to what we do or what we might need to do. How might that change performance in the future? So, yeah, interesting curiosity, a bit a big part of uh, of what I've done in these sort of first nine months. Yeah, good. The curiosity piece is so important because no one's going to tell you to do that stuff, uh, but that's going to no. be a differentiator between being a transactional manager or you know somebody who uh, who manages a team and then somebody who actually gets yeah. the right stuff done. Now, yeah. uh, Jack, is there anything that particularly uh, surprised you about the role? You know, when when perhaps you look back to your uh, your Virgin days and you know L and D managers, are you thinking why do they, why are they doing that? That you kind of landed in this role and just went, ah, I get it. <laughs> uh, so, what surprised me about 
the role more than I, I think it's what surprised me about the business mm. and, then, and then how that that tran- how that transpired into the role so one of the things that uh, two of the big things that I've noticed is, is the diversity of this business so you only have to go back three years and we were a brick and mortar retail business that was us and then we project forward three years and we're looking to be a digital financial services mm. provider so the diversity of how we change and transform and how have transformed and how we're going to continue tra- to transform that's what surprised me about the the role is actually you're caught up in this continual transformation i know that word gets used sort of freely and sometimes a little bit a little bit loosely but there's this constant transformation uh, uh about it so it's about where where are the areas where you can't stand still and where are the areas where actually you've just got to really set strong foundations it doesn't matter what kind of business you operate in mm. that will be there so that was an interesting thing and the other, the other thing was for a business of our size, how much of a cornerstone data and analytics are going to play mm. a part. So, so again, as a business, we're going through a big piece around data warehousing, data lakes, and we're having that conversation about how, how can we plug all of our systems into or, or you know, deliberately choose systems, technology, and architecture that will feed directly into this warehousing mm. piece uh, as well. So, so, uh, for a, a business of our size, we're really heavy on that, and that that just plays into some of the key things that we want to do as well. So that that's what surprised me the most about it: a, where we've come from to where we are, and where we want to go to in a relatively short space of time, and then that real focus on data analytics, MI, BI. You know how we determine performance in the business and join things up. So yeah, it, it just plays it, it just plays massively into what what I'm looking to do with with the approach here for learning. I'd say I remember uh, working at NatWest, and uh, and before I I, I I made it to uh, to manager level, I used to see the the senior managers there. I used to think they're not doing any work; they're just talking. They're always just talking. Then you get into the role, and you realise I get it now. Like the only way you're going to like is that that the team are going to be opened up to to the opportunities within the organisation is if the wheels are greased excuse yeah. the uh, the business bullshit there yeah um, of course that uh, that that somebody's opening some doors somebody is uh, profiling the team and gaining credibility so that they can yeah. through and get the right stuff done so it is breakfast coffees it is mm-hmm. things it is lunch with uh, with uh, with key influencers you can see that that all you're doing is putting your foot in the door trying to open the door a little bit more trying to garner support and all of that stuff which doesn't look like work like to, to a doer, but is so fundamentally crucial to allow an, a team to actually flourish. And I think that that's massively understated. Of course, but then then the more senior you get, then your role is to to not just knock down, knock on doors. It's to it's to kick down doors. It's to yeah. you know, it's to it's to hold doors shut sometimes and use all the authority that you could possibly and credit that you could yeah, possibly yeah. muster to keep a door shut so that your team don't feel um, the the pressure that, uh, that that would be exposed or that they're they're not being drawn into into doing some work that would either be horrendous for them or a complete waste of time yeah so it's a, a, a big chunk of the role is providing air cover that that's what that's what i call it you know so, here's what you need to work on while i'm keeping everything floating over here and making sure people are are comfortable and happy know when things are are landing and what we can and can't do you know a lot of it's around uh, a lot of it is around transparency a lot of that comes into the principles of how we're trying to transform the team 
uh, as well. We just, you know, complete transparency on what we're, what we're working on. We can, we can talk about that as well. Yeah. And I know, I know from, uh, from us speaking before and, uh, and, and from your posts on social media that, uh, that you do think deeply, uh, about, uh, about learning and development. So I wonder if we can, uh, um, uh, get into some of those practicalities and your principles now, really? Jack, and, uh, and looking at your role now, how do you run your function? So looking at, you know, the principles you apply, um, perhaps the, some of the approaches that you encourage and how that plays out with team members, with bosses and with stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a bosses and stakeholders perspective, I'm really, really fortunate that I've got bosses incredibly empowering, encouraged me to take ownership. So I'm not delivering on my boss's plan. Actually, my boss has said from the start, it's come and tell me what we need to do mm. as a business. And I'm completely prepared that it's not what I think it, uh, not what I think it uh, should be. So that what we're looking at is how we deliver a great experience to our current team members and how we take them on that journey with us as a, a as a business and and one of the things that i i i lean on a lot around that david is when i worked at uh, virgin media before one of the things that we would always do we, we have a customer journey that goes all the way through to actually even when somebody leaves us how do you leave it in such a great example that they might want to come back in the future and that mirrored the people journey in the business so that's one of the things i'm i'm beginning to to think about how we bring here not just how do we bring people through the door at the start how do we support them through their journey with us and if they then decide to go and do something different how might they keep us still in mind so to come back so the experience is a big part of, of what it is so we as a team we talk a lot about the experience that we're trying to deliver for our people how do they how do you want things to look sound and feel as well as the performance element of it so that that's one part the other principle we reflect is we have a, a saying, a, a perfect term is, you know, we put customers at the heart of everything that we do. And that's got to be the same internally is that we put our customers, our team members, our people at the heart of everything that we do. So one of the first, the first thing that we do now when we take any request for support is we go and speak to the people who are doing the job. Yeah. We go and speak to the people that are doing the, the job. And for, for some people that's not radical and new. And for some people that that's, not something they get close to and and what you discover as a result of that it's just eye-opening a lot of the time so you know we've had a number of requests that that come into us and when we go and speak to our people we find out yeah it's a bit of that Mm. and actually some of it is around well-being and how we're having to work at the the moment you know distanced or away from each other that plays a big part on our our performance so how do we how do we support that element how do we support relationships across the business that are, uh, and expectations that prevent us from, from looking at performance? So that's one of the things that we do first now. We've done it with, we've overhauled our um, some of our inductions into the business based on going to speak to our new starters. Mm. You know, you joined us three months ago. What worked really well? What didn't deliver the experience you were looking for? What could we do next time around? And that means we're iterating on everything that we do um, moving forward. We start with performance again. It's it's mm. the stuff that you talk about. It's the stuff that uh, uh, some of the some of the people that we, you know, we, we both sort of um, we we look up to around. What are we actually trying to achieve? How we know if we've how we know if we've achieved it? And and I think sometimes people aren't comfortable with those conversations. One of the biggest challenges for me at the moment is I'm, I'm not going to use the word resilience. It's more about persistence. It's about feeling comfortable having that conversation two, three, four times until. Mm it begins to get closer to, to what it is. So my team are probably sick of me saying, what's the problem we're really trying to solve here? Yeah. 
and spending more time defining that to make sure that we're doing the right thing um, going forward. But one of the biggest ones for me is around transparency. I, I mentioned it a, a second ago. So as a team, we have a backlog. So look, yeah. it's the terms you'd use in Agile. We're not working in an Agile way necessarily. But one of the things we have is when a request comes to us or someone you know, wants their request happening at a certain time, here's our backlog. Let's talk mm. through it. So you can get the wider context of what we're trying to to do as a team. And when you share that, people are, you know, people are really welcome to go, oh, I understand why you're saying not now. You're not yeah. saying no, you're saying not now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and that's a, that's been a key driver actually around how we are managing a lot of requests. Mm. A developing business, how we manage a lot of requests is against that, uh, is against that, that backlog. And a whole, I, I talk about whole org view. So one of the things I do with the team, I mentioned it before, is we get the marketing digest every uh, every week. We get the commercial summary. We get the organizational projects. We share that across the team. We have a conversation every Monday to go, what's going on across the business? What's the impact that that's having? How might that how might that look in two, three, four months' time? We're getting this whole org, organizational view that then drives what we do. So it's about taking a step back a, a lot of the time. Um, uh, and, and looking past the end of your nose um, uh, as well. So, yeah, that's where that's where a lot of my principles come from. I don't know if a lot of that comes from being vendor side and commercial. Mm. That that comes from that, but that's that's uh, that's one of the first things that I seek out whenever I go into to organisation. Well, it seems to me, Jack, that uh, that you are uh, you're laser focused on um, making the right difference. Um, you know, if we, we look back, you know, tradi- traditional L&D models, when you start with a training needs analysis, it's a resource allocation exercise because the solution that we have in mind, and we do know what we have in mind before we understand what the problem is, is uh, it's expensive, it's time consuming, uh, it will take up a lot of credit as well as a lot of money. Um, it will take a long time to schedule and get everybody through so we can't possibly do everything. So we'll collect your training or your learning requests and then we'll be able to prioritize it. What you're doing there with the, with the backlog uh, and the way that you're engaging with those conversations is you're understanding the critical points of failure within any particular operation, how that affects performance and results, and then mm-hmm. prioritizing that, as you said, transparently, so that everyone can see what you're working on. Everybody can assess where their next request uh, comes in in, the, uh, in terms of priority and waiting, but then you're engaging in conversations with those those people that you're seeking to influence so that you are all going to work on having to um, uh, do things differently to get different Mm -hmm. results. Again, go back to the old way in which the the learning solution or the training solution will be developed. People will attend and you've got a load of people going, well, I don't actually know why I'm here because my boss sent me because the conversation was had with the boss, not them. The, Mm -hmm. um, The problem was translated from a business problem or performance problem into a learning problem, which became largely educational or academic, it's over a day because no real exploration of the job was actually done. So we're just trying yep. to put as much as we possibly can into it. And certainly no exploration of the, the nuances uh, or, or even the, the contextual relevance of, of what that means, not just for an organization department, but down yep. to particular roles and instances that that person recognizes as a point of friction. I mean, the two are chalk and cheese. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that having done both of those, I can see that what you know, the way you've described it, it seems risky, but my word, it's far less risky and expensive and far more laser focused on the result and bringing people with you than the mm-hmm. old way, which may be accepted by stakeholders 
but still begs the question so often, did it have any impact at all? Whereas the, the approach you're taking is how much closer are we to the desired outcome? Chalk yeah. and cheese. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and again, it, it comes down to developing those relationships. So one of the people I speak to probably most uh, in this business at the moment is our head of risk. Yeah. So one of the things we are incredibly proud of is our license with the Financial Conduct Authority. That is... That is our truck. That is the thing that we are most proud of. So, what are the things that could threaten that, or the obstacles that would prevent us from having that, you know, that 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 license to operate for, for us? So, I've linked a lot of our challenges, problems, and priorities to what are the key business risks that we're trying to mitigate uh, and challenge. So, one of the things we're trying to use a bit more is around data. Now, we're not there; we're on that journey, but you know, we've just pulled together something as simple as look, we've dived into how many times will people go and run essential or compliance learning and say they're done because they counted the completions what we've then done is go what are the questions telling us mm. we fed that back into it security manager head of risk and now we're targeting how you know our gaps based on what we've got back from our people so where we might where we maybe didn't have the data up front to go where are we where are we most at risk in terms of GDPR, cybersecurity, information security. We now generated some information to pass back into the business that will then drive phishing simulations. It will drive where we target, you know, information security. So where we haven't had it, we're trying to generate it to show what we can do with data as well. And it's not perfect. You know, mm. it's not perfect. I think that's one of the things that I would say to people when you come into role is progress over perfection. You know, yeah. we're using a bit more data now and next time we use a bit more on top of that and it's building that up over it's building that up over time but yeah it it is about who are those key what is the business most proud of how can you keep that pride and what's going to what's going to knock that pride down keep the focus there keep the focus there yeah progress over perfection is so right uh the one one of the uh, again, the pitfalls of traditional L&D is delivering the perfect program or, you know, or perfect enough. But if you're going to actually make change in the, uh, in the organization, then you need to take people with you. And it's much easier to take people with you, recognizing and acknowledging where they are. And when I say mm-hmm. people, I mean, employees, which are the people that you are seeking to influence to do something different, to get different results stakeholders who thought that that they were asking for training and they they might not actually be getting their training but they are getting their results mm-hmm. and just as critically the L&D team who are there who have quite a lot of attachment a lot of the time to the way things were done and pride in the skills that they developed to do things the way they were done but if you are inching and taking you everyone on a data journey on an experiment journey on a performance focused journey then it's much easier to show the way and and go together slowly than it is to to run off into the distance saying hey guys over here because that's yep. not leading that's that's generally seen as being a renegade mm-hmm. and, and that transparency piece come come comes back in here so you know we've just you know delivered our first fully remote induction for you know frontline facing mm. teams never done that before and what we've generated on the back of it is we we are going to go to our head of department and go here's all the stuff we got wrong yeah <laughs> here's all the stuff we got wrong or we hadn't considered and we had to run around you know in you know in the time that we were delivering 
to make sure it happened. But yeah. transparently, here it is. It was not perfect. Mm. Here's how we're going to move it forward next time. I think it, it, that takes a bit of humility as well in knowing that actually we, we, we've not got all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> we've just not got all the answers, but we're willing to, to go and seek them or commit to them in the, in the future. I think that, that, that takes a level of bravery we maybe haven't seen you know, across L&D at times mm. where you're right, it has to be the fully polished, completely completely set up. It's, it's delivered eight months too late for the problem. Yeah. Uh, maybe Which somebody's uh, fixed with a template. Yeah, somebody's fixed with a template. <laughs> That's right. Over here, yeah. A, a bit of a tip. Instead of saying, uh, uh, this is what we got wrong, you might want to say, this is what we learned. <laughs> this is what we learned. And now everybody's going to hear that, aren't they? Everyone's going to hear me say, that's what, that's it's, what it's we all, got all right. Here's friends. where we can improve. Here's where we can improve. Yeah. Um, Getting well. get to, to look at that yourself um, personally here. Um, you've been in the role, what, six, seven, eight months now? Uh, right? yeah yeah nine months nine months yeah, now nine, okay nine so yeah, yeah. Uh, in what areas do you see now that you will be prioritizing your own development say for the coming months that you can actually see so that will help you to grow into your role uh, so where i'm prioritizing uh, at the moment is again i go back to what is the organization most proud of and, and what do i need to know so my background wasn't financial services mm. walking into this uh walking into uh, walk into perfect terms. So actually that's where I'm going to spend the next few months of my development is mm. a around what does it take to be a, a really performance focused team inside of financial services? What's coming up from a regulatory perspective? How do we see what's on the horizon? Uh, how do we see what's on the horizon there? But, but the other side of it, David is my development's going to be around how, how do I develop as a manager? Yeah. So uh, you see, you know, learn and performance manager that doesn't well, that's just a that's i'm just a manager of this team so actually being a great manager is something that i've got to look at um uh as well so so yeah they're they're the two areas it's actually what does the business do and what's what's the regulatory um environment that we sit in and then how do i just be a better or a developing manager because mm. that will support everything else that goes on within the everything else that goes on within the team so um that's my focus and then what that frees me up to do is we we're doing a bit of role modeling. So one of the things I mentioned at the start is that we have the apprenticeship levy. Mm. Now you can speak to a number of different businesses and you know people are, are using it well or some people don't even realise that it's there still. So we're looking at how we create advocates through our own team. So actually the, the team are going through their learning and development apprenticeships at the moment to develop themselves. So we talked about the mid-operational experts that we're looking to build up and give that knowledge. So that, that's where a lot of my focus is as well, is, is learning that and supporting them yeah. uh, and supporting them through that. So yeah, we're going to create advocates, which then we can we can show the business, this is, this is what an apprenticeship looks like. This is what mm. it looks like when you can strategically develop people as well. Okay, great. Um, now, as we, uh, we we look to wrap up, I've got a couple of uh, questions that are on a similar theme, but um, but but perhaps from a, from a slightly different perspective. If the listener... Um, uh, wishes to progress to L and D manager, what advice would you give give them to both prepare for and also position themselves for a, a successful transition? So, if we're thinking of somebody who is a core contributor, this has peaked now. Perhaps they haven't even begun on that journey to position themselves, uh, or uh, or even assess whether they have uh, those transferable skills. What what advice would you give to them? So, from a uh, from a preparing themselves position i would say benchmark yourself mm. where you are so 
um, within the team, we've used the LPI's capability map to do some of that. I've used that that previously to go, actually, where, where am I really strong? Where are the areas where I would need to push myself uh, push myself forward? But again, when mentioned around the apprenticeship, when you go, uh, so if anybody goes through an apprenticeship, you're doing knowledge, skills and behaviours assessment uh, mm-hmm. as well, leading up to that. So that will show where some of your um, areas of improvement or, or areas of strength are. So from a preparation perspective, I always say benchmark, you know, uh, a benchmark piece. Be willing to step out or where your complementary, you know, complementary skills. So mm. actually where in the business that you're in at the moment, could you develop some of that management or leadership experience? Do you need to step out and away for a while? Do you need to second into something else? Do you need to lead a project and develop some of those? So I think it, it's about either where can I get those skills in the role that I'm doing or where do I need to develop them? outside um outside of that because again it, it could be quite easy to get caught up in l and d i've got the l and d skills to do what i need to do but actually can i manage people and support people and think strategically and you know look at how a business operates you might need to have different conversations with people you might need to go and sit down with a head of ops mm. go, how how do things work around it? so that curiosity that interest i would say uh, a big parts um as well the other side is and it's not a route that uh, everyone may take is, is i do believe i've got an edge from being vendor side mm. and seeing how different organizations l d teams work and don't work in in a business so i think is there a way that you can get that either that vendor side expertise or commercial expertise that will support you mm. um uh, as well so I, i've just been reading the book about skill stacking um so rather than trying to be siloed into one skill how do you develop those smaller skills that build up on top of each other to, mm. to give you that sort of rounded uh, rounded approach so yeah how would you how would you stack your skills to do it i would say wonderful and then my final question then jack if the listener has recently been promoted to manager and perhaps listened to you uh, and uh, acknowledges that you are six seven months uh, ahead of where they are what advice would you give them to help establish them as an lnd manager uh, to two things one is pause mm. so one is pause. so what really are the problems that you're trying to solve what are the priorities and having to be ruthless uh, around that so are they going to support the business plan the strategy so we've actually removed some non-core activities because even though we were doing them it wasn't actually impacted people didn't realize when we did or didn't do them mm. um so we've done some ruthless work around that to free us up for um for, for other things don't wait to get your seat at the table so pull up a chair or, or ask for it so i have dedicated time in every month with our CEO mm. because I asked how he'd like to hear from me, how yeah. often, when, how do you want to carry on this conversation rather than wait for it to happen. So that's the same with a head of risk, you know, a number of other relationships that I've struck up in the businesses. I haven't waited mm. for something to go wrong. We, we've gone out there and, uh, and done it. So I think, um, I think it's Barbara Thompson that says, don't wait for a chair, just pull it up. Yeah. Just pull the chair up get to the table and then work out what you do when you're there. So th- there'd be the two key things I'd say for me. Wonderful. Um, and, uh, and Jack, if you're happy to, uh, how can people connect with you professionally on uh, on social media? So LinkedIn is the best place you'll find me. Jack Lockhart, uh, mm-hmm. I'm on there and happy to connect with people. Wonderful. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's always left for me to say though, Jack, is thank you very much. This has been a, a fabulous conversation. You've been very generous with, uh, with your insights. And thank you for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you, David. Stepping up to L&D Manager can be both exciting and daunting, but we can all learn 
from those who've done it already. What Jack describes will be uncharted territory for many because L&D has changed. So it's important that we recognize where L&D is now and then bring others along with us. I think you'll agree this was an insightful conversation. Remember to check out the previous episode in this series on starting out in L&D and the next episode on becoming an L&D leader. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.